Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. It is a brand new and Labor Day edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Martinez. Bill Meltzer is going to join us in just a second as the Flyers countdown is underway. Here we are in September, Labor Day today, and things are getting real close to happening as far as rookie camp, training camp, preseason, and the NHL season just around the corner. But let's get right to them. We've got a task at hand in this episode, which was very difficult for myself and very difficult for Bill from PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, NHL.com, and HockeyBuzz.com. It is Bill Meltzer. Bill? Happy Labor Day, if that's a thing you, you even say. We're working on it uh, regardless, actually taping here on this Sunday evening. Uh, before we get to our all-time Flyers underrated team, the season began for Matt Vemichkov, Flyers' uh, first-round pick, the seventh overall pick in this draft, and he was a healthy scratch for the game. And I don't know that we've ever seen a coach of a Flyers prospect player or a current player or anything that ended up in a White House briefing, but we just saw that. Uh, Matt Vemichkov was scratched for the game, and I know it, it sent Flyers' Twitter into a frenzy. Uh, understandably so um you know sometimes sometimes when, when you're trying to explain to people what goes on in russian hockey and it's not just not just currently it's going a ways back right you have to understand that that uh russian hockey can't only be evaluated on, on the hockey level because there, there's so much more at play with everything that happens in that league at, at, at every level of the game, everything from everything from roster decisions from for events like the World Junior Championships before before Russia was banned, you know, to roster decisions that are made to to player transfers to the inner workings of the politics of the league, which are very tied in with the politics of the country, and it's it's not something that's easy to explain in, in quick fashion, but. You know, if it was if it was just on merit and just on the basis of the preseason, Matthew Michkov had a heck of a preseason. Um, he moved from wing to center for a large part of the preseason. He played wing again at the end, so you know, so a little bit time, a little bit of time there. Um, really didn't play very much in the final week of the preseason, but I think it was the first five or six games of the preseason. He got on the score sheet every every game. Um, was working hard in his defensive play, really forechecked well. You know, no nobody's perfect every shift. You know, that's to be expected, particularly learning a new position. But I don't even think he was on for a goal against until about the sixth, fifth or sixth game. Um, you know, I don't know what else you're looking for from an 18-year-old player. Um, you know, the season opener rolls around and he's scratched. Um, and their other top prospect is a, a likely first-round pick. Uh, in, in the 2024 draft, is the 13th forward. Now, in Russian hockey, it's hardly unusual for young players, no matter how talented, to be at the bottom of the lineup, not be in the lineup, sent to the uh, VHL, which is the, the minor leagues, or even back to the MHL, which is the junior league. It, it all goes with the territory. Um, everything's going to be magnified with, with Michkov given the level of talent that he has. Um, you know, he's kind of a strong willed young young man, young player. Not all that not all that different in some ways from how Yarmir Yager was at eighteen and, and so so on. He's not someone who's going to just accept what he's told. He's you know, the way that he the way that he plays. And there's there's always a push pull effect. Um, you know, they're the coach of the team is also a very strong willed person. I think that's a mild way to put it. 
Mm-hmm. So, so I, I think that that a certain amount of tension and, and clash between the two of them is going to happen. It's never and and you know last season Michkov spent the second half of the season on loan to another KHL team. It could end up going that way again. Um, I think I think ultimately, as far as the Flyers are concerned, they want him playing and developing. They don't want him. They don't want him as a thirteenth forward. But they don't, you know, they don't really, they don't really get to say here, right? He, the, uh, the coach makes out the lineup, and ultimately the coach is also the general manager, and also the, uh, the, he uh, on the, he's the chairman of the board of directors of SCA, so he, he, he he's the decision maker, he's the guy, um, and so you know where, how much Beachcob ultimately plays the season, where he plays, whether it's. Ska or or on loan to another team again like last year he was with Soshi or even VH I, I I think even the coach realizes that he's beyond the junior league at this point so mm-hmm. I, I would think that uh, I would think that either go to the Russian minor league or, or be loaned to another team um, and the coach said that uh, he'll he'll rotate into the 13th forward meaning that let's see what six shifts in the game yeah it's kind of kind of hard to kind of hard to do much in such little ice time but again but again it's it's not he's not the first and he won't be the last young russian player you know 18 19 years or even 20 years old who has to work around it it's just it's just the way that it goes and when the flyers drafted him they knew that was a possibility again because last year he he spent time in the junior in the on well, the, the junior league in the minor league a little bit with ska and then the latter part of the season, he, he was on loan to another KHL team, the Sochi, for whom he had quite a bit of success and, and saw a lot of ice time, just not the strongest team. Again, as long as he's playing and developing, it doesn't really matter where. Um, you know, the the goal is to bring him over when that's possible, whether that's at the end of his contract in three years or, or two years or whatever the case might be. You know, the one game is not a big deal. But again, you don't want a whole, you don't want months of him sitting, weeks of him sitting. That's, yeah. uh, I don't think, I don't think that's good for anybody. So it's, it's, it's not a story to, to fly off over, to fly off the handle over, but, but it does merit some monitoring because of the league that it is and because of some of the norms in that league. It just, just is what it is. Bill, does this exacerbate urgency on his behalf to want to get here quicker? It, it, it may. Um, you know, it's the kid wants to play. I mean, he's a gamer, right? You know, he's he, a competitor. He, he he wants to play. He wants to be in the ice. He wants to, you know, he, he wants to be playing hockey. Um, yeah. you know, I, I again, you know, um, seems from his interviews with the Flyers, the time he spent around the organization, actually to be a, a really good kid. But he's also he's also a kid who really is in tune with his game. Um, is demanding of himself and. You know, is is already has kind of a take charge presence on the ice. Um, you know, he's he's not shy about directing traffic, even sometimes where veterans are concerned. Um, but again, as as with Yager, sometimes when you have a talent at that level, that goes that, that's par for the course. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Um, you know, but you get him out when you can get him out. I, I, I you know, he he is he is um, contractually obligated for two more seasons after this one. And I don't think I don't think it benefits anybody to get too high or too low in the day to day. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a long season. 
Um, but is it disappointing that he wasn't in the lineup for the opening game? Not particularly, not truthfully based on his play? Yes, it is. It's frustrating. Yeah. And, you know, Flyers and, you know, want to see the young man develop as best he can in a league that's developed players that have been there for substantial amounts of time. And you can look at a guy like Artemi Panarin, or you look more recently at Kirill Kiprizov. He was there five years post-draft and obviously developed incredibly well. But in the beginning, you know, maybe, uh, you know, this is the process that they go through, but we'll see how, how it all plays out in the long run. And I think it's a real good point you make that don't go crazy on the day to day. Let's look at the big picture and we'll see where it all goes from there. And speaking of big picture, I mean, Bill, we're getting really close to training camp. I mean, we're counting down the days to the rookie games coming up at Lehigh. I mean, as we sit right now, it's 38 days until Flyers Blue Jackets. First preseason game three weeks from today, if you can believe that. We're getting really close to the season. Um, But when you look at, uh, you know, going into this season, we talk about unsung guys. And I saw this exchange that you had on uh, on Twitter. Chris Marr um, put out this tweet, and I know you replied to it. And his tweet initially said that the Flyers are facing the most uh, Flyers players facing the most pressure heading into the season. They listed his 10 guys. He had Sandheim, Frost, Hart, Forster, York, Farabee, Tippett, Atkinson, Cates, and Konechny. And your reply, um, you had it somewhat different, although you did have Travis Sandheim at the top, Farabee at number two, looking for a bounce back season after last year. Hart at number three, goaltender always is going to carry a lot of that. Yeah. Um, Frost to maintain what he did from December, the final 58 games, basically, York. Atkinson, and you had Couturier in there as well. Travis Konechny to continue that great success he had last year, Tippett, and Cates as well. Um, but th- there is a lot of pressure on a lot of guys, and sometimes that is one of the elements that can you know, cause dips or change the trajectory up and down of, uh, of a player's development. Uh, for sure. And, and you learn a lot by how the player handles that pressure. Um I mean, multiple guys took steps forward last year. That was that was one of the big positives from last season. Um, but from year to year, you know, you don't have everybody continue to step forward. That doesn't very that doesn't happen too often. Um, and there, there are certain guys who didn't necessarily step forward last year, and they need to do so. Or, or guys coming back from major injuries. Um, you know, like in the case of Couturier, who I had on the list. I mean, the Flyers are going in with Kevin Hayes no longer in Philadelphia, and, and you know they're they're still Frost is still working to prove himself to to John Tortorella and the management to a degree. Um, you know, you'd like to see Cates take another step forward, but really, for the Flyers to hit a level uh, where they're a markedly better team. Than, than the year before, at least up front. Flyers basically need Couturier to A, prove that he's healthy and stay healthy, but B, show that he can get back close to the level he was before. And, and he's going to put a lot of that on himself, too. He has high expectations for himself. So that you know, that you that's one of those big unknowns going in. You could say the same thing for Cam Atkinson. I mean, everybody everybody is starting pressures on them, but I, I, think, that, I think there are some guys who are either you know, with Sandheim being at the top, for example, the Flyers really need him to not only have a better year last year, but to basically bounce back to the form that got him the Rays in the first place, winning the Barry Ashby Trophy, you know, and 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 um, being a lot more effective than he was for much of last season. He basically, with 
Provorov gone and, and New York still in the process of proving himself, they, the Flyers really need Travis Sandheim to eat a lot of minutes and, and show that he can get back to the level he was the season before. That's a that's a ton of pressure, but it's also it's also a very real and b incumbent on him to be able to do that for the Flyers to continue to advance beyond where they were a season ago. So there there's there's a lot a lot of people have to show a lot of things, and we'll have we'll have a good picture over the next year, especially before you know bef- before a guy like Gautier comes. Um, longer term before a guy like Michkov comes. How far are the Flyers really along in the rebuild? And yeah. and how much more do they have to go? Um, you know, so that's uh, those those are questions we're, we're going to answer over the season. But but I think there's a ton of guys under a lot of pressure and, and a lot still to be learned about some of these guys. Yeah, I think all said and done, you're going to get tremendous data this year and how a player responds to a down year with that pressure of the contract and everything else. Yeah. Uh, really could chart the course for the next several years for a player like Travis Anheim uh, and Joel Farabee and some others as well. Um, you know, one of the things, Bill, I talked about last week in an episode was, you know, I always had these conversations going back to when I was doing sports radio, heading into any season of sports is about expectations and having your expectations in order um, to make them realistic. And one of the questions I asked was, you know, how do you define progress this season? You know, is it something that is quantifiable via numbers? Like you're, I mean, ultimately in sports, you're judged by your record. Your record, you are what your record says you are. And in, in hockey, I mean, you got 82 games. It's not a small sample size. Like baseball is 162 and it plays out. You end up being what you are. Um, but when, when you look at that, think about that question. How is, you know, this season, how is progress quantified for this team? How would you look at it? Is it, the arc of development for a lot of players and, you know, the response for like Farabee and Sanheim and the like. I, I, I think, I really think it is. I, I think the Flyers could have a comparable number of points from last year and still be making progress. I would consider going back five points, eight points to be a successful year because that, that means too many pieces are still missing and, and guys you need to step up did not. Um, you you want to you want to see them continue to be a tough out, regardless of you know regardless of, of points at the end of the season. But that's also, that's also measure you need some wins there too. So yeah. cool. I, I think that um, they don't need to be a playoff team for this year to be progress. I, I think that uh, I'd like to see them do a little bit better point wise. But if they don't, if it's if it's about the same. That, that I still want to see more of a core continue to emerge, yeah. and and pieces that, that might be trading pieces too. You want those guys to perform well, so that so that when it does come time that you might be a seller around the deadline, you you can add some pieces, and hopefully start dealing from a little bit more of a position of strength. Even even this past off season, well, let, let's be honest, except for maybe the Provorov trade. Flyers really were not dealing from a position of strength. That's why they weren't able to get back the ask, and, and some of the guys are hoping to get something for. So that 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 to me is also another step in progress, where you're able to make some trades where you, you can get what you're asking for, or you know, or you have multiple bidders on, on certain pieces, or you can start dealing from depth. That that that'd be even better too. 
Like we yeah. talk about the the team has some right wing depth. When you can trade from strength, that's when you get more back. So I, I would like to see I'd like to see just in terms of the Flyers being in better position, asset management as well as what you see on the ice this season. Yeah, no question. All right, let's get to Bill, and we're going to cut this into two. Um, let's get to our all-time Flyers underrated team. We'll obviously do it by position, center, left wing, right wing, 2D, a right D, and a left D, and goaltending. I even did a coach as well. Um, uh, we'll do the forwards in this episode, and then for Wednesdays, we'll have the D. Um, so let's start at the center position. Who did you have as your Flyers all-time underrated center? After considering several guys on there, you know, I I, I ultimately came up with Pelly Um because he was a to me he was an underrated piece of the, of the Keenan era. Uh, the Flyers probably don't win that series against Montreal uh, to get to the finals in '87. If if Acklin hadn't gone off the way he did in that series, he won a Bobby Clark Trophy. He had a several fifty assist seasons. One of the best playmakers they've had. One of those pure skaters they've had. Um, and also a guy who could switch to left wing without without a blank. He could play center or you know play center or wing. Was a was a force in the power play. And just a you know just just a very underrated hockey player in general uh, on some some deep and very good teams. And when they were weren't such a good team, you know, back when the, they were having the five-year drive, you could actually see, well, this is actually one of their two or three best players. So there were other guys I considered. Um, yeah. You know, I'd like to hear yours and we can, can throw some other names out there, but I, I, I decided on Pelly ultimately. Yeah. That 86, 87, that 87 playoff run, uh, the Flyers played 26 games. He had 27 points in that playoff run, seven goals and 20 assists. And he was a monster. Like you said, in, in the Montreal series, uh, all said and done, Pelly Eklund in his Flyers career was nine years, 589 games, about 452 points for Pelly Eklund. To me, he's the player that would have fit in today's game in a big way, too. He's a, he's a modern-day player playing back in a throwback time. Oh, for sure. And listen, Mike Keenan, as everybody knows, is not the easiest coach to please. Um, and you have a small, a small frame finesse player which is two strikes against them in, in with Keenan, and he won them over. And that's uh, that was not an easy thing to accomplish in, in that time period with that particular coach. I think that said a lot, too. Yeah, I agree. That, that's a great selection. Pelly Eklund, yours. Um, you know, I debated this a lot of angles. I looked at, actually looked at Keith Primo, a third overall pick, because when he was a flyer, you know, he was, he was traded here as a, kind of a show replacement for Lindros at the time. And he played here from 28 to 34 years of age. So he was he was up there. He was a sage veteran, 0.68 points per game as a flyer, 312 games, 213 points, played in 58 playoff games, had a couple great playoff runs in 90 or in 2000, rather, 18 games. He had 13 points, 04, where they lost in the conference final in game seven to the Tampa Bay Lightning, where he was unbelievable. He had 16 points in 18 games in that series in particular. But ultimately, I actually opted for a guy that was taken in the third round, not by the Flyers, but by the Hartford Whalers, because the time that he spent in Philadelphia, Bill, was one of those times that's, you know, not one of the highlights of of franchises, period. You know, he was here between 91 and 1995, and that is Kevin Deneen. He actually had pretty good numbers. He played 1,188 NHL regular season games throughout his career, but in five years as a Flyer, 176 points in 284 games. 0.61 points per game, 
He was a guy that uh, only played in the playoffs once here, but he's one of those guys I think that was a really important player at that time and almost forgotten. You know, his dad was the coach here at one time, Bill Deneen, but I think uh, Kev Deneen was actually a good flyer for, I don't know if you call it a brief period of time, but one of those guys is definitely underrated in my position, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, Dina was a heart and soul guy, a leader. Yeah. Um, he was uh, one of the guys who helped Eric Lindros get settled in when, when Eric was a young player here. I think, yeah, I think I actually Eric lived with him for yep. a while as a rookie. Um, tough as nails, uh, overcame Crohn's disease to, to be able to extend his career and, uh, had some really damn good years for the Flyers. Um, playing with Brendan Moore quite a yep. bit. Um, you know, and, and you know, they got overshadowed eventually by the by the Legion of Doom line. But Deneen was a Deneen was a rock. And the other thing I remember too is that his role was starting to be reduced, and there were still places he could go play. And he wanted to stay. He wanted to stay the Flyers. Um, this was after the run in '95. The, the other thing too with Dino, and I think that it might have even been. Racking my brain. It might have been that that uh, fifth game of the Devil series, the one where Lemieux scored the final minute. But I actually think it was Kevin Deneen that led a couple of comebacks for the Flyers in that game. Mm-hmm. Um, he he's, you know he scored a couple of huge goals in that series. Um, so you know in, in terms of sheer toughness, character, you know leadership ability, and generally our, our downtime in Flyers history, you know, I, I think Deneen is is a really good choice. The the other guy that I Considering along somewhat similar lines as a hockey player, um, for the you know for the all, all underrated team, and Mel Bridgman. Now, yeah. now Mel was the first overall pick in the '75 draft, but for most of his career with the Flyers, he was either a, at center or left wing on the third line. But he was still a, but he was still a 20 goal a year guy, um, 20 20 goals, 200 penalty minutes a year. Um, became the captain during the 35 game unbeaten streak. Um, was traded for another captain. Actually, it was it was a straight up deal for Brad Marsh. Um, only had one 30 goal year in his career, which is combined between the Flyers and Calgary. But Bridge, when you you talk about tough as nails and, and a player who in a, for a lot of other teams would have played higher in the lineup, he just happened he happened to be on a team that had Bobby Clark as its first center and Rick McLeish as its second. So. You know, so that that put Mel on the third line, and sometimes, sometimes with Oris Kinderchuk, you you put Bridgman on the, on the on the left wing. But you know, I, to me, to me, it's another guy who maybe his numbers might not pop at you, but I but I think that in terms of what he brought the team in in a lot of regards, to me, made him an underrated player. Yeah, number one pick in the nineteen seventy five draft, Mel Bridgman, sixty eight years of age right now, if you can believe that, and. uh yeah, I mean, he he was stuck between eras, <laughs> but he had a great mustache, if I recall. <laughs> yes, he had he a great big thick mustache. Um, let, let's go to the right wing position, Bill. Who'd you have as uh, your Flyers all time underrated right winger? So I'm I'm, I'm going to change it from what my my first list was because I I really thought about it and I, I ended up making a change from what I um when we were tossing some ideas back. I'm going to put Michael Renberg. And the reason for that is I don't think people remember how good Michael really was before the abdominal tear, before the sports hernia that became a hundred percent tear. And he was never quite the same player after that still holds the Flyers rookie scoring record. 
um, 38 goals, 83 points, I believe that was. Uh, that was the year before the Legion of Doom was created. Um, the second year, it, it, as big as the acquisition of John LeClaire was, I thought Renberg took the next step, and and he was, uh, you know, there there were debates as to, okay, Yager's the best right winger in hockey. He was the second best right winger, and a lot of people back then would have said Renberg at, at that point in time. Um, then then all the injuries started to happen. Um, I think the way the people remember Michael now is, oh, well, he was the third member of the Legion of Doom. He was an equal member uh, on that line before the injuries happened. And a damn good two-way player at, at that, too. Yeah. Um, you know, Terry Murray had, had a lot of trust in Michael. Um, after all the injuries happened, it took him down a peg. He was still good, but not what he was before. But I, I, don't, think, I don't think people really totally remember, you know, just, just how powerful all three members of the Legion of Doom were that first season and a half. It, it, the biggest thing, if you could go back and change time, you know, Michael had a, uh, um, a sports hernia in training camp in 95. And this is crazy to think about now with the way sports hernias are treated today. But back then he had the, the hernia mesh surgery, um, which yep. is now basically obsolete. Um, it's, you know, it's used in certain cases, but the, the particular procedure he had no longer no longer done. It happened midway through training camp, and he was in the uh, line of opening night. Nobody misses two weeks with a sports hernia, <laughs> and that, no. that and that's why and that's why he had a hundred percent tear three months later. No, no player ever rehabs that way anymore. Uh, people they know a lot more about it, and it's such a shame too because it again he was never quite the same player. There were times he got, got kind of close again. In 96, 97, the second half, he looked like his old self to, to a large degree. But uh, but I think if you look back in time, you know, people remember Michael as a decent player, a good player who had great line mates. He, he was a heck of a hockey player. So that, that's, who I, that's where I ended up going with it. Yeah, that Fort Ernie actually kind of shrunk his career. He ended up only playing 661 games, second round pick in the, by the Flyers, 40th overall in the 1990 draft. And, um, yeah, he was – that line, obviously, LeClaire and, and Lindros, obviously, very heralded, certainly not underrated. Uh, but Michael Rembrandt is very important on that. The, the, the right winger I went with, Bill, is a guy pretty recent. And th- there's a lot of uh, you know, revisionist history about this player and his efficacy, maybe because of his contract and maybe because of the team's lack of success in playoffs. But I'll have none of it. And I'll take as my underrated left winger, Jake Voracek. And here's why. Jake Voracek in his time as a flyer had 0.83 points per game. He played here for a decade. So it's a huge sample size. Uh, He's a guy that, you know, was traded at the age of uh, basically 21 before his 22-year-old season. And all said and done for the Flyers, 727 games, 604 points. In the playoffs, uh, Jake Voracek, obviously the team success was not there uh, in the postseason uh, for much of his time here. And uh, he played in 45 playoff games at 27 points over that span, uh, but at 0.60 points per game in the playoffs. So I'll have none of it. Jake Voracek, to me, is one of my all-time underrated players, not only because I think he was a very good NHL player, uh, but I think that there's a lot of revisionist history about what the player was when he was here and that's recent which is you know people should not have forgotten 
but they've lumped the team lack of team success onto the player. For sure. And, and I also think that people went in with the wrong expectations sometimes for Jake. To me, Jake was a playmaker first and foremost. He gets to 20 goals. Quite a few years, exactly 20 goals as it worked out. But Jake, first and foremost, was a guy who set up other guys. And he created a lot of scoring chances, a lot of goals for the team. Um, was durable for, for a long period of time. He finished, I think, third in a in an R a yeah, a, yeah, in, in our roster. If you rate. I mean, he finished third third in his best season. Um, was leading that race for a lot of the season. Jamie Ben kind of came in late in the season and won it. Um, it doesn't, you know, when you're top three in the league in scoring, when you have as many assists as he did, as many 20-goal years, again, even though he wasn't a great shooter, he wasn't a great natural shooter. I, I think Paul Holmgren's often said Jake would shovel the puck more than shoot it. But but he could score too, particularly, particularly in open ice on breakaways. Very hard to take off the puck. And, you know, for all the people that said, oh, well, Jake was nonchalant and didn't care. I, there were a lot of times where I could have many, many, many times where I thought Voracek would step up and, and turn a game around sometimes. I, you know, the Flyers just didn't have the pieces. They were very top. They were a very top heavy team. And some, some that get, you know, a lot of that got put on, on Giroud too, yeah. where, you know, the, the lack of success of the team got put on the player. But the truth of the matter is also that, a lot of Jake's best years coincided with uh, an era when the Flyers under Ron Hextall were content to be a bubble team, trying to rebuild the farm system slowly, you know, kind of maybe they missed, actually on an alternating year basis. Some years they make the playoffs, some years they miss the playoffs. Um, even years they'd make it, odd years they'd miss. But the only reason they were even around the playoffs on the bubble was that, that core of of uh, Giroux and Voracek and Simmons. That, that, that was, those are your forwards yeah. that they really carried them out for the team in those years. Yeah. And 14, 15, he had 59 assists that season, 81 points, 22 goals. And uh, his yeah. shooting percentage in his 10 years with the Flyers, 9.2%, but he did have one outlier year. And it was the shortened 48 game season where he had a 17.1 shooting percentage. He had 22 goals in 48 games uh, that season. So I'll take Jake Voracek there. Let's go to the left wing position, Bill. Who did you have at left wing for your all-time Flyers underrated team? Uh, again, uh, you know, a lot of names to consider. Um, originally, before I put Rennie in, I, I put Anilka Sinasalo on the right side. 36 and 38 goal seasons, two-way guy, killed penalties. Um, scored his first NHL goal in a penalty shot, all, all that stuff. Sinasalo was a really very good player who got overshadowed by the, the curves and the props and you know, in the Mark Howes, but Elkisano uh, since I was a heck of a hockey player, not drafted, so he was a he was a rookie free agent signing too. So I thought about Elka, but ultimately I decided the guy from the, the Stanley Cup years and went with Ross Lonsbury. Um, wow. Now Lonsbury was a guy who he played he played with McLeish and, and played with Dornhofer on the two Cup teams. Um, could be a thirty goal, could be a thirty goal guy, but was really you know, really, for the most part, content to be a, a four-checker, two-way player. And McLeish was a guy who could sometimes be a, be not so intense, be a little sleepy sometimes in the ice. And it was really Lonsbury and, and Dorney 
that needled him and kind of kept him in line. And given the fact that he was a top six forward on two cup teams, and you always hear, of course, about Clarkie and Barber and Leach and McLeish, um, you know, and, and Dorney to degree too. But you, you don't, you didn't, you never heard much about Lonsbury. And Lonsbury, guys on that team will tell you that he might have been the most underrated guy in those teams. So that, that Roscoe ended up being my guy for that. All right, you got Ross Lonsbury. You know, I wanted to move Kenny Lindsman to left wing as that left shot guy, but he was a center. Uh, even though his numbers as a flyer in 269 games, he had 257 points, but I didn't get to move him. So and I'm picking through, I mean, if you're obviously left winger, Bill Barber and John LeClaire, I mean, they're not underrated. They're rated right and thought of properly. But I went back and, and you mentioned that team back in the mid 80s and some of the big figures that were on that team when we were talking about Pelly Eklund. You look at, you know, Davey Poulin and Tim Kerr and, Mark Allen, Brad McCrimmon on the back end. But, you know, one of the guys, and we got to see him at an alumni game just, uh, I think, two seasons ago, Murray Craven, 0.81 points per game as a flyer. He played on 523 games, 152 goals, 272 assists, and 424 points over eight seasons. He's young in his career, too. 20 to 27, basically, as a Philadelphia flyer. And he put up some great numbers. And you want to talk about playoffs, you know, he's a guy, obviously, that saw some playoff hockey here in Philly. Played in 44 playoff games at 24 points there as well. Um, to me, he's a guy that absolutely, I think, kind of gets forgotten about a little bit. But was certainly I, yeah. one of the left wingers. Oh, yeah, I think Craven I think is a fantastic pick. Um, you know, Muzzy was, a, was the guy who, first of all, he could play any forward position. And where you needed them yep. to play, um, prim- primarily a winger, but could also play in the middle. Um, you know, he yeah, at least one year where I think he was over a point per game, and, and he won the Bobby Clark Trophy. But just a great two-way player, great speed, very very smart hockey player. I mean, listen, the the Flyers traded Daryl Sittler to get him, and he was 20 years old at the time. Um, Craven was, and he justified it almost immediately his first year. With the team, we go, okay. And, you know, now we know why they trade a, a future Hall of Famer. was only one year removed from a 40-goal season and was was going to be the captain. They saw that this guy is going to be a, a very good NHL player for a very long time. Um, you know, it was kind of kind of – the Flyers had a lot of underrated guys. I mean, Craven, Craven and Sinisalo were both extremely underrated. Eklund, um, Ron Sutter, too. Ron Sutter was another player who maybe the, the scoring numbers weren't there. But he would do anything you needed him to do, and and sometimes you look at the end of the year and you would think he had more goals than he did, yeah. because he he was one of the most clutch players they had too. So that that's why those teams were so deep and why they were so hard to play in the postseason because they had so much depth and and a lot of that was the Cravens and the Sutters and the Sinisalos and the Ecklands, you know, and obviously obviously Prop and, and Kerr and and Poulin and Zezel for a couple of years too. Zezel had some pretty good scoring yeah. seasons too um so those you know those those teams you know i i, I could talk about those 80s flyer teams all day long though those were the, the teams truly of my heart and i know of you too you know we've, yeah. we, we've discussed that we've discussed that before but i th- i think i think craven is a fantastic pick as, as a quintessential underrated flyer truthfully 
His first season as a flyer in 84-85, playing with Mike Keenan, about 80 games, 26 goals, 35 assists, 61 points. And playing under Mike Keenan, you're not going to see the ice unless you're responsible, plus 44 on the season. And uh, to me, he was a thinking man's player before a lot of the thinking men played. Um, so Murray Craven is my pick for the left wing. Great stuff here, Bill. As always, the underrated list. A lot of fun doing this. Great conversation. Uh, everybody, thanks for listening. We'll check you out. Brand new Flyers Daily coming up on Wednesday. Wednesday.